The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Praise the Lord. I start out with a story today of um, a couple that went to meet a counselor and um, they, they, they took the case of, of their son to the counselor, the, their 25-year-old son. And when they met the counselor, they, they, they told the counselor, they said, excuse me, sir, our son has a problem and we would like you to help us to fix him, to fix the problem. And the first thing the counselor, of course, asked was, okay, so where is the boy? Where is the son that has a problem? And they said, he doesn't believe he has a problem. So he's not here with us. So the counselor said, okay, maybe he doesn't actually have a problem. So begin, tell me the rest of the story. And they started out and started explaining, you know, over the years as the boy was growing up, how... He's been having challenges, difficulties, you know, when he was in school. He wasn't stable in school. He couldn't stay in one school because he was a truant. Maybe they'll expel him. And as soon as they expel him, of course, as loving parents, what do they do? They immediately get him into another school. You know, finally, he managed himself to get into college. All his other mates um, in, in college were maybe doing part-time jobs to be able to survive. But of course, as loving parents, what were they doing? Each time he asked for money, they give him money. Before you knew it, they discovered he was in drugs. And he was taking drugs. And they, they still kept on taking care of him and trying to do everything. Even now, he has finally graduated and he doesn't have a job. So what did they do to ensure that he doesn't think too much, he doesn't stress himself too much? They keep him on an allowance. And, you know, they go on and on and on. And when they finally finished, the counselor said, I was so right. The guy doesn't have a problem. And they looked surprised. I said, what do you mean he doesn't have a problem? He's on drugs. He couldn't, he couldn't stay in one school. He doesn't have friends. He's just fighting everybody. He's a truant in the, neighbor, in the neighborhood. He said, yes, he doesn't have a problem. Because you have taken all his problems away from him. Praise the Lord. You know, this... I don't know, for you, when I was reading the story, it's, it struck with me because I could, I could relate with it. You know, a, a number of times we, we find ourselves in situations or in relationships or in involvements with some people around us that we help them and we help them and we help them. So we help them so much that effectively they transfer their load, their problem to us. And unknowingly, we carry the problem and we still think it's their problem, but it's now our problems. How many of you can relate to that? Praise the Lord. Great. So today, we're going to be talking about boundaries. Everybody say boundaries. We all need to have boundaries in our lives, around us, hedged around us. I mean, physically, when we talk about the definition of boundaries, um, you know, in the physical world. For instance, this auditorium that we have right now, these four walls is the boundary, right? Clearly, we can see that, you know, it, 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 I mean, this instance, it's like a, 
they call this PVC, right? It's a PVC wall that defines the perimeters of this place. It could have been a brick wall. It could have been a fence. It could have been a wooden fence. It could have even been just a rope. As a matter of fact, when we moved into the land, it was like a, a, a cellophane rope, that, a line-on rope that was used to define our boundary. You know, I remember that day when the first service we had there, when pastor was explaining it and was saying, when you go down like this, you go down like this, you come back, and on and on, right? But what defined that boundary was something as simple as a rubber tape. But it, could, it easily was identifiable as what was the boundary and what defined what was our property as a church. This is on the physical realms. Likewise, on the, on the spiritual realm, there are boundaries that are there. They may not be physical to the eye, but in the spiritual realm, there are things that must be obeyed. Pastor shared a story some time ago, um, his experience, when they were in a prayer meeting, and um, there were two prayer warriors praying for someone that was a demon, that was demon-possessed. And they were praying. The guy was charging at them and attacking them and doing all sorts. And by the grace of God, the pastor entered into, the, into, into the, the place where they were praying. And he needed to go back into service because service was going on. He didn't want to miss service. And he didn't want to be distracted by that demon, you know. Uh, and he, he, he simply said, when he entered into the room, he said, in the name of Jesus, this is the bloodline, you demon, you must not cross it. And he left the room. Remember the story? And for those of you that, that were not here when it was shared, the, what happened after that was that the two other guys that were praying, they suddenly realized that they, they, when they stepped across the line, and the demon was on the other side. As they are praying, and the demon wanted to charge at them as it had done in the past and succeeded. Once he gets to that line, he gets there and he stops like, okay, I cannot cross this line. Meaning that he saw the boundary where he could not go past. Physically, they could not see it. But spiritually, it was as real as it could be. We all need to have boundaries in our lives around us, edged around us. Why? Why should we have boundaries? The first thing is that the boundaries that we have defines who we are. The, the boundaries that we have, it defines us. It tells me what I am and what I am not. It tells you who you are and you, who you are not. You know, those of you that like football, a couple of weeks ago, um, the Capital One Cup final between Manchester City and Sunderland. How many of you like football here that watch football? Oh, cool. cool, cool. All right. So, when they started that game, they fought, I mean, everybody expected that, okay, Manchester City was going to beat uh, Sunderland and win the cup. You know, it was normal. Everybody expected it. But as it would Happened. The first half, Sunderland scored, and it looked as if the, inv the invisibility of Manchester City, with all the investment and all the money spent on players, was going down the drain. And they held the game up till first half, 1-0. Manchester 
city probably was remembering what Wigan had done to them two years ago. And they went into the, into the, the, the dog, dog house at halftime. And the coach spoke to them, of course, tried to psych them up. You know, but I heard uh, during the week uh, on one of the commentaries during the match that record has it that during the halftime, after the coach had spoken to them, regular stuff, this the strategy, tactics, blah, 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 that Yaya Toure, the present African footballer of the year, he stood up after, and just turned to the team and said, guys, this is not who we are. For us to be beaten by Sunderland, this is not who we are. Let's go outside and finish this match. And they went out, first 10 minutes, Yaya Toure, the same guy, scored a fantastic goal. One minute after, second goal, before they finished the end of the match, 3-1, and the game was over. And they won the cup. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> he said, this is not who we are. He refused to say, ah, ah, who is Sunderland, a non-entity, to come and beat us, Manchester City? Ah, ah, this, he, he told himself, this is not who we are. For us also in GFH, we know who we are. We are God's favored people. Hallelujah. We make it clear and we know beyond a reasonable doubt that if God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who sits in the throne in heaven and using the earth as its footstool, the one who stays at the same time stretches his eyes from one end of the earth to the other, the one who knows the thoughts of our hearts even from afar, if this mighty God were to come down on the face of the earth on a Sunday morning to worship in a church, where would it be? <laughs> Hallelujah. This is who we are. And part of the things that guides the principles of who we are is our values, our value systems in, in, in God's favorite house. You know, some of the, the if you've gone through the, the journey, you would have learned about the values that we stand for in God's favorite house. For instance, in God's favorite house, we, we value authenticity. If you see anybody, if you come into church and you see anybody in God's favorite house and the person, you look at the person, you say, this person is so fake. Trust me, he's not a member of God's favorite house. But because we are real people, we don't form. As you see us, that's how we are. And that's why we are God's favorite people. We value simplicity. We are flexible. We value flexibility. We value continuous learning. We value risk-taking. In God's favorite house, no small dreams. No small dreams. If your dreams are small and they don't scare you, then it's not a God's favorite house dream. Maybe you need to change your mindset. Hallelujah. Why is this? Because we have chosen to define what we are. In God's favorite house, if you see anybody gossiping, we know you are not a member of God's favorite house. Because why? We don't do that here. Hallelujah. 
We don't do that here. <laughs> you come into God's favorite house, someone upsets you, and the first thing you say is, do you know who I am? Oh, you are not a member of God's favorite house. Why? Because we don't do that here. We've defined who we are by our boundaries. We've set them very clearly. And we know and we stick by it. And God honors us for it. When we know our boundaries, we know what we are, res- what, what, what we, what we are responsible for and what we are responsible to. This is the second reason why we have to have our boundaries. It helps us to determine and define what we are responsible for and what we are responsible to. The story I gave earlier on about a parent that was trying to help their children, help their child, is because they were mixing up what they were responsible for with what they are responsible to. If you read scriptures, Galatians 6, chapter Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 to 5. It says, carry each other's burdens in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. To your neighbor, say, Carry your own load. You know, there's someone that sang a song some time ago. He said, Ele rube rue uh-huh. <laughs> The younger people know those songs. Carry your own load. That is what the scripture says. You know, a number of times what happens is that, if you look at this scripture, let me break it down. You know, there are two words there. There is one that in the beginning it says, carry each other's burdens. Then at the end of the scripture it says, carry, the, for each one should carry their own load. You know, the word burden and the word load, they are used interchangeably there. For the burdens it says, carry each other's burdens. Then load, it says, carry your own load. English definition, they could probably mean the same thing. But when you dig deep, the Greek meaning of burdens actually means boulders. The things that are too big to carry. Boulders, things that are too big to carry. So the scripture says that we should carry each other's burdens. That is the things that are too big to carry. Yes, we can help ourselves to carry those ones. But the things that are load. Everyone should carry themselves. Yes. For instance, uh, a, co- a couple of weeks ago, I was going out of my house in the, uh, in the morning. I think the school bus came to pick the children. And Eric and my son, he just started walking towards the door. And the, the help that we have went to carry his bag and was following him. And I'm like, and I looked, I, I was confused, like, he can't carry his bag himself, seven-year-old boy, and she, she didn't mind. She was like, oh, I'm, just, I'm doing my job, let me help him to carry. No way, not in my house. And I told you, I said, from today, if I see anybody carry your bag for you, you're in trouble. Yes, because why? He has to carry his own load. 
Hallelujah. It is not a burden. Maybe if, for instance, I expect him at this point to be washing the car for me, that is a burden at seven years old, right? I can, when I want to wash the car and I want to have fun, I can say, come and join me. When I'm washing the car, they'll yeah, you wash the tire. At least his hand can reach the tire. Eh, that's not a burden. Then he's sharing my burden with me. Hallelujah. We're defining roles. Because when we know and define our boundaries, we can know what we are responsible for and what we are responsible to. The human nature, the way the human beings are, is that for as long as you see people or someone that is willing to help you to carry your load, unconsciously you will turn your load to a burden and pass it over. A couple of years ago, I met a guy, nice guy, young guy, and we, we were in a gathering, and uh, it was like a Bible study. And um, I, I asked him, and you know, I just pointed at him. I said, Re- "Read this scripture," and I noticed like an hesitation. This was a, I mean, young, fine boy, you know, good-looking guy. You know what today you will consider a bloke, okay? And I noticed some hesitation. And I said, yeah, read now. Then he struggled, struggled, struggled to finally open the Bible to the place, uh, the scripture. And he started reading. And I discovered that he could not read. I mean, it may not be his fault. Maybe he didn't have the opportunity to go to school. Adult, over 20. So I immediately, I tried to cover up and, you know, I moved on. Then after the session, I called him. Then he explained to me, I said, this, he couldn't read, yes, because challenges, didn't get to go to school, blah, 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 you know. You know, this is the same guy that had told me that he had written jam like three times or four times and had failed. How will he not fail? He can't even do the basic stuff. You know, so I said, okay, fine. That's who you are today, but that's not where you will be. Right? I mean, we, we may find ourselves in situations where, where we, I mean, where we are today. It's not where we're going to die. We're not going to end up where we are. We're going to go on and get better and better in the name of Jesus. So I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. You need to enroll adult classes or adult education or whatever. We agreed and said, okay, go and look for a school or go and get a private teacher, whichever works for you. It must happen immediately. And he went. He was encouraged. He got a teacher where they agreed on how much it was. He was working at that time. His salary couldn't afford it. So I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We'll split the money for the teacher. Just between, I didn't even tell my wife. I don't, I'm not sure my wife knew about it. Just, just between the two of us. We'll split the money and on a monthly basis as we have to pay. You will pay because it's your future. You need to invest in it. And I will pay the balance for you. And he was happy and we started. And, you know, two months, three months, I was always seeing him everywhere carrying a book or something to read. And I was happy that, okay, at least it's working, right? So, after a while, he told me he could not read. So I said, continue, at least keep getting better, continue with the guy, you know. 
and uh, he, he went on and on. Then I noticed that I just somebody just told me about like maybe like a year or so. I called him and asked him. I said, "So what's the position with this your teacher? How far is the school? How is the program going?" And he said he had stopped. Why did you stop? Hey, I can now read. Okay, that's fine. So when did you stop? About three or four months ago. Three or four months ago. But you've still been collecting money from me for the half. For three or four months. You know what he said? He said eh, he actually had something he needed to do, so he's been using the money. The honest truth was that there are periods over that one year where I had to struggle to give him his own portion. And here was me carrying his load. And the guy was using the money for another thing. Anyway, we ironed it out. We're good now. Praise the Lord. The guy has done way, way, way. He's moved on. He's done very well better. But point I'm trying to make is that as human beings, when we allow it, people around us could have the tendency of wanting to turn their burdens and shift it to yours. So we need to know how to set our boundaries. I'll give another story. Uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. We know the story now. Uh, I mean, the, um, someone, a, 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 a Levite, uh, sorry. A man was traveling from Jerusalem, was going to Jericho, and he was attacked. It was a parable sold by Jesus. He was attacked by thieves, and the thieves um, left him for dead. The Levites came uh, and walked past him. The church uh, worker came, walked past him until the third guy, which was a Samaritan, came and helped him, took him to an inn and left him. Uh, I mean, even paid for his treatments and even told the innkeeper, I said, look, continue treating this guy. When I come back, uh, even if it's the money I'm living here is not enough, I'll pay for the extra. And that was the story, right? But you know, as I was reading my Bible today, I saw another story of a good Samaritan as written in the book of Paul, chapter 1, verse 75. Open your Bible, you'll find the book of Paul, chapter 1. And I will read. The book of Paul, chapter 1, verse 75 says, A man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho was mugged. The robbers stripped him and beat him and left him half dead. So a priest and a Levite passed by on the other side of the road, ignoring the Ottoman. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan took pity on him, bandaged his wounds, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, the Samaritan gave the innkeeper some money and said, look after him. When I return, I will reimburse you for, an, for any extra expense you may have. At this point, the injured man wakes up and says, What? You are leaving? The Samaritan says, yes, I am. I have some business in Jericho which I must attend to. The injured man says, don't you think you are being selfish? I'm in pretty bad shape here. I'm going to need someone to talk to. How is Jesus going to use you as an example? You're not even acting like a Christian. Abandoning me like this in my time of need. What happened to the scripture that says, deny yourself? So the Samaritan says, 
verse 20, verse 78. So the Samaritan says, why? I guess you are right. That would be uncaring of me to leave you here alone. I should do more. I will postpone my trip for a few days. So he stays with the man for three days, talking to him and making sure that he is happy and content. On the afternoon of the third day, there is a knock at the door and a messenger comes in. He hands the Samaritan a message from his business contacts in Jericho. They said, we have waited as long as we could. We have decided to sell our camels to another party. Our next herd will be in six months. So the Samaritan screams, how could you do this to me? Look at what you've done now. You've caused me to lose these camels that I need for my business. Now I can't deliver my goods. This may put me out of business. How could you do this to me? And the injured man said, sorry. Praise the Lord. Can we relate to this story? You know, you need to come and see me for this uh, Bible. Hallelujah. Problems arise when people act as if their boulders are daily loads and refuse help, or as if their daily loads are boulders that, shouldn't, that they shouldn't have to carry. Once we allow them, they will shift it on us. So we need to know how to set boundaries. So why, let, I mean, let, clearly, let's also define, why do we need these boundaries? Boundaries help us to keep the good things in and keep the bad things out. When you have a wall, it helps you to keep your property in and the ones that are not your property out. The scripture says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows Issues of life. Proverbs 4.23. We need to keep things that will nurture us inside our fences. That's why the Bible says guard your heart. The things that are going to be useful to us, that's what we need to put inside our hearts. And when you do that, you do what? You guard it. So that the enemy will not be able to come and steal it. But the challenge at times is that when we, when, 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 when we have these fences or when we have these walls, you know, the walls should be designed in such a way that it has doors. You know, imagine this auditorium now. Uh, assuming it was just all sealed around because we want to protect our property and there is no door. How do we get in? Or how do we go out when we need to go out? We need to, as we are building those boundaries around us, we need to also create a room in such a way that you can continually allow good things to come in Apart from, the ones, apart from keeping the ones that are in, allow more good things to come in. And in situations where there are bad things inside, you need to have a way of getting them to be outside. First John 1 John 1.9 says, But if we con confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Meaning that when we have built a boundary around us and we discover that inside of us we have things that are like sin, things that are not glorifying to God. We need to be able to bring it before God so that we can, God can help us to exit it. Even as we build those boundaries, you, you could also look, find out and say that the, the sins, for instance, you want to build a boundary around your family. You're, you're an husband or, or the wife. 
and there's something inside of you that is heating you up. Probably you've committed adultery. Your wife doesn't know. Your husband doesn't know. You alone know. Trust me, it will hit you and eat you and eat you until you confess it. And trust, it's not your pastor that you should confess those kind of sins to. It is the person you have sinned against. Because James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, not confess your sins to your pastor. There are some sins, yes, you can bring before your pastor to help you with, but there are some that you didn't commit against your pastor, you committed against someone. Go and meet that person and confess and let the person pray for you so that you may receive healing. It's important that we guard ourselves, that we create that boundary around us because it is the things inside of us that we live inside of us that determines who we are. Mark 7, 21 to 23 says, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts. That's from within. It comes evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness inside these small hearts. All these vile things come from within. These, they are what defile you. So when we, are, when we know that all these things are inside of us, we need to create a boundary so that we can push them out and keep them out. We need to push them out and keep them out. You know, Talking about boundaries, it's not just us alone that we just need to understand the concept. Even God himself, you know the concept of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Even that, they, even though they are three in one, they still operate as three different entities. And they also have their own boundaries in an, as they operate. So, in what areas of our lives and how should we set boundaries? In what areas of our lives and how should we set boundaries? In our relationships. I mean, talking about relationships, there are various types of relationships. It could be marital relationship. It could be work relationship. It could be, I mean, all sorts of relationships. But in our relationships, in every relationship that we find ourselves, we must set Boundaries. We must set boundaries. I mean, there's a guy that um, we are presently working on a project together, and he um, was telling me a story about his, his family, his mom, his mother specifically. And he said, "Excuse me, sir, I hate my mom." <laughs> and this was coming from someone that I mean, a cool guy. So I was like, ah, "What happened?" He said, "Do you know what she's doing to me?" And he went on and on explaining. Bottom line, is a young guy hustling in Lagos. He comes from the north. And before he left his village, he said he bought a small house. You know, village, village, village house. You know, so not, uh, he bought a small house there. And he told me a couple of months ago that his younger brother was getting married. 
And I'm like, how old are you that your younger brother is getting married? It's okay, no problem, it's not my problem, you know? So, a couple of weeks ago, he now told me that, do you know that that guy is not working? The guy that got married. That it was his mother that was encouraging him to get married. I said, okay, it's fine. To make matters worse for him, he said, when the guy got married, the guy that's not working, the guy moved into his house without his permission. The mother just gave him go ahead. Okay, fine. It's my brother who sort himself out, and I'm not in the house anyway, so it's okay. He moved on. Then about two weeks ago, he says the mother is chasing him with phone call. What does he need? And he said I should send money. What does he need the money for? He said the wife of the brother is complaining that the house does not have a fence. Hallelujah. <laughs> so he needs to send money again so that they can build a fence in his house. So he said his mother hates him. <laughs> that was his own conclusion. <laughs> Hallelujah. That was a mother-to-son relationship. As you can see, does he need to set boundaries or not? There are relationships like that that are even that that we're in that we're close that that we're in. We need to set relation uh, set boundaries. There was a guy I, I haven't seen him in church in a, in a while now. He used to come and meet me after service. Uh, I'm sorry, Pastor. You know the stuff. Uh, this and that things are not. You know what I'm talking about. I have no problem if that happens. You know because people are in different phases of life. So I'm saying this not to talk down on anybody, you know. People are in different phases of life, so it could happen. All right, so I have no problem, you know. When I have, I give. When I have, I give. Then one day I asked him, I said, your wife, what does she do? Because he's married, he has two or three children. You know, what does he do? His own salary is 20,000 naira. He has three children. So what does your wife do? He said, ah, my wife, she's not working. She's not working. Okay, let me see your wife. My mind was, okay, maybe I could get her a job or something. You know, at times it's easier to get a woman a job, you know. So he said, okay, let me see the wife. And I called the wife. They came and, madam, why are you not working? Ask him, oh, he's the one that said I shouldn't work. What do I do? I set my boundary straight because he's not ready to help himself. Earning 18,000 naira, actually, not 20,000. Earning 18,000 naira a month. Ask three children and a wife. And telling the wife not to work, I'm the man of the house. Man of what? Which house? <laughs> that the wife is still with you is the grace of God. Praise the Lord. So, that is another kind of relationship that we need to see and set the clear boundaries. Are you, it could be in an, ab, an abusive relationship. Maybe a husband and a wife relationship. And the wife has been abused over and over by the guy. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's the wife that is abusing, the, abusing 
Why are you laughing? You don't know that a wife can abuse men. I know a case of a woman that will be doing midnight calls with her boyfriend on her bed at night, and the husband is right beside her. And if the husband talks, you say, how much have you given me? Isn't that abuse? Is it until he removes blow? That's the level, highest level of abuse. If anybody is in that kind of situation, God will deliver you today. In the name of Jesus. If you are in that kind of situation or a similar situation of abuse like that, you need to define the boundaries. You need to define the boundaries. And how do you do that? You define the boundaries by confronting it. I told the guy, the Elsa guy I uh, was talking about, he said, you need to tell your mother, no way, and draw the line. Doesn't mean you hate her. Doesn't mean you love her less. But you just need to draw the line. This guy that I talked about that was man of the house, I told him, I have no more money to give you. And don't come and ask me again. So that I don't even have the, you know, at times they struggle to say no when you know someone really needs it. But there are times you need to draw the line. How? You confront it. And trust God for the outcome. Confront it and trust God for the outcome. A woman, for instance, that is in an abusive relationship, you need to tell the person that is abusing you. I say, look, this abuse can't continue. And be clear. It cannot continue. Maybe the husband has turned out to punching bag. If she leaves it and says, okay, it will change. God forbid that they will come and use coffin to carry you out one day. God forbid. But you need to confront the situation clearly, head on, without mincing words. In our relationship, even with children, with the child, with the children that God has given us, we need to be able to draw our boundaries clearly. You know, there's a there's a video of a of a child. An interesting child. I mean, CMM, are you ready? Oh, sorry, the screens are... Okay, it's coming up now. All right, if you have the video, you can shoot the video. I just want to look at this video. How many of us wants to pray to have that child? <laughs> now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that was the first time that child did that? Why? The way children are designed, the children that God has given us, the way they are designed is that they are designed to test boundaries. Oh, yeah. They are designed to test boundaries. You see a child... You, he's, he's, maybe he wants to go and pick up 
this flower, for instance, and you say, and it runs to the place, and, and you suddenly say, stop, don't touch it, and it stops because it respects you. Then you look away, and it's still standing there. You know what it's going to do? It's, do, it's going to do it slowly. It won't do it fast. Because why? It's testing. And when you don't catch it, catch him, it's going to touch it. That's the way children are. And guess what? The next time when you say, stop, don't touch it, it will first of all touch it and say, eh? That's the way children are. We need to quickly draw the boundaries by confronting it with them, especially when they are still young. I tell people that children as young as six months, they're already learning. Why am I saying six months? Even from inside the tummy. They are designed to learn. Who teaches a child how to suck breast when she comes out of the womb? You send him to school? It's learning. They are learning continuously. How do you explain a three-month-old child that people are talking in the room, the parents are not talking, and as soon as the parents talk, it turns. Because he has learned the voice of the shepherd. Parents, there is no child too young to discipline. The Bible says, it's not me, the Bible says, folly resides in the belly of children. And the recommendation from the Bible, the rod of correction will drive it out. Simple. And you see, the truth is that the earlier you adopt that principle, it's not you are abusing the child. No, you are correcting the child. Why? Because they are learning, and it is what you teach them that they will take in. It's a very simple matter. It's what you teach them. That it's what you permit. That guy, can you even see, with all of that, what was he doing? He was helping him to pick up the things after. Because that is what he has permitted. And trust me, everything grows. Everything grows. If it's not growing, it's drying. It's dying. If you allow a bad behavior to live on, it will grow. It will become a badder behavior. And then a baddest behavior. It just continues to grow. We need to teach our children. It's not just to teach alone. You need to discipline them. You need to model a life that they should live for them. Because children are not just going to listen to what you say. They are also going to do what you do. You need to, that is modeling. Every child also, after modeling, needs to understand the principle of, of internalizing their actions. So, for instance, a child that you tell that um, if, if he, for instance... Does not, uh, le, le, I mean, thinking of an example now, uh, you, you give a child, let's say he has some money. Maybe someone gives him or her 10 naira or 50 naira or whatever. And you tell the child, go and save that money. Because that toy that you say you like, that's what you're going to use the money for. So anybody that gives you money, you need to begin to save it. And he does not save it, he goes to use it to buy sweets in school. Then you and, him, you and the child go to the store and you see the toy and you ask him, so how much have you saved now? And he says, 
Sorry, nothing. Even if indeed you as a parent, it's your joy to make your children happy. There are some times that you need to sacrifice your joy to discipline them. When I'm disciplining my children, trust me, it hurts me. But I know it's for their good. Yesterday, my son was a little bit unruly at home. Uh, and I got into the sitting room, and I saw him kneeling down, hands up, facing the wall. And I asked my wife, what did he do? And she told me, oh, I said, oh, God, have mercy on this boy now. <laughs> In my mind, you know, they even brought me food to eat. I couldn't eat the food. I told them to just hold on small. You know, after they started eating, I still saw the boy. I had to beg on his behalf. Of course, he didn't hear when I was begging. You know, because, of course, that's, you have to have to strike a balance. I had to beg my mother, my wife. I said, okay, pity this boy now. Why? Because at that time, he was already crying and weeping there. Because he, he probably has learned his lesson. Some of us are afraid to let children cry. They have to cry now. There are some things they have to cry about. A child, one year old, you, stop, you, you correct him, you beat his hand when he's doing something wrong. And he beats you back. Eh? One year old, over my dead body, not in my family. Now, he may not know what he's doing. True. But that is the time to say, you don't beat your parents, no matter what. You don't beat your parents. A couple of years ago, there was a, a, a couple, uh, well, a young guy that was trying to counsel. Very eddy, very, I know everything, you know. His parents, the guy's parents was a teenager. They were fighting each other. And he brought out his belt and beat the two of them. Yes, he was angry that they are fighting. Because he said they were fighting over things that was not important. Who put their cane in your hand? But trust me, that's not where it started. That's not where it started. My children can't even think of it. Who born them? Praise the Lord. So we must define in our relationships how to set those boundaries and we must confront it by facing the matter headlong, confronting it, and also by teaching when it comes to children teaching them model and also explain to them the consequences of their actions and reactions. In our work with God, we must also draw the boundaries. In our work with God, in our relationship with God, we must draw very clear lines of boundaries. There's another video that I'd like us to watch. There's a film. I'll give you a look. While setting it up, I'll give you a background on the film. It's, it's a film I'm sure some of you have watched. It's called Courageous. Alright? There's a case of a, a man called Avier. Uh, and he's been trying to get a job. He's been, he has two kids and a wife. He's a Christian. He wants to live his life for Christ. And he's been trying to get a job. Honest, decent job that can make him to pay his bills. And he's been struggling. And as God will have it, through some miraculous ways, I recommend the film. Go and watch it. It's a very, very uh, life-transforming film. You know, as God will have it, 
finally got a job. And the rest you will see. Let's, let's roll. Boundaries, absolutely important. Ijave set a boundary on what he is going to cross over and what is not going to be able to cross over. He made it clear what his stand would be for God. I'm sure there are some people here that you need to also set some boundaries. Especially you need to set a boundary in your life. By taking a decision today to cross over to Christ, let's bow down our heads. You've heard all we've talked about, and you can see very clearly that God honors those that stand for Him. God honors those that choose to live for Him. Those that decide and say, okay, the boundary, the line is going to be very clear. Maybe you are here today. You've been serving the enemy or you've been sitting on the fence as it's maybe said. But you want to make a decision today to move over and join Christ. You want to take a decision today to give your life to Christ. If you're here, kindly raise up your hand wherever you are. There is nobody that does takes this kind of decision and God does not honor. You're here today, you want to give your life to Christ. Please kindly raise up your hand wherever you are. If you're also online and you want to do the same thing, the instruction, the instruction is scrolling on the screen right now. You want to give your life to Christ, you are here. Raise up your hand wherever you are. I will just give you a card. I will pray with you. And from today, your life also will begin to be a living testimony. Wherever you are, there's nothing to be ashamed about. Yahweh was not ashamed of his God. He stood his ground. And as you can see, it became a testimony. final call. Anybody here? Our Father in heaven, we just want to thank you. We can never and ever thank you enough. Thank you for all that you have shared with us today. Thank you for how you have helped us. We pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that the right kind of boundaries that we need to set in our lives, you will help us and give us the grace to set them in the name of Jesus honor and glory we give unto you. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed.